Welcome to the November 1st, 2018 edition of the BitcoinNews.com daily podcast where we cover the biggest stories of Bitcoin, blockchain, and cryptocurrency every single day. You can count on us being here. This is your host, Space Marine. Jumping right into the market analysis. So Bitcoin dropped briefly to $6,200 and then minutes later, pretty much, it rallied to $6,350. Not much of a change. We'll call it a rally, but it's just a mini little pump in price, quite typical of Bitcoin. And now Bitcoin sitting near 6310 on Bitstamp on Bitfinex. That premium continues, it's around 6385. But the premium on Bitfinex used to be like $500, was $1,000 at one point. And then it's slowly been decreasing as Bitfinex has gotten its fiat deposits problems resolved. And Tether's back near parity, but they lost a billion dollar market cap, representing a billion dollars of Tether coins being redeemed. There's a slight rally across the crypto space. The crypto market cap's over $205 billion again, so it's gained like a couple billion dollars in the past day or so. Ethereum's sitting almost exactly at $200. Ripple at $0.45. Litecoin at $50. Now for our first story of the day. So we keep talking about Venezuela because the Petro situation is very interesting. It's the most publicized state-backed cryptocurrency, but also the weirdest state-backed cryptocurrency because there's still no evidence it exists. But anyways, the Venezuelan government opened up the public sale for the Petro on October 29th, and they pushed it up by a week because the president, Nicolas Maduro, was very eager to do that. And now people could buy the Petro with fiat currency and major cryptocurrencies. However, the buyers seem to be receiving paper certificates. So Venezuelan government officials and at least one Chinese delegate, they made a public show of buying the Petro when the sale started. And they got a paper certificate and they were waving it around in front of the cameras. There was no photo evidence from this show of people buying the Petro that they actually received cryptocurrency. They just got a paper certificate, they waved it in front of the cameras, and there's multiple weird things about this. So first off, these certificates seem to have like full identifying info on them, like they have fingerprint, signature, name, maybe like address and stuff. So this makes the Petro buying process very not anonymous, and Petro's white paper that just came out like a month ago said Petro was going to be very anonymous, like Dash, which used to be called Dark Coin, which is like an anonymity coin. It's not quite a privacy coin, but it's like up there and far as far as anonymity goes but yeah now the buying process is extremely not anonymous and they were waving the, these paper certificates in front of the camera and that means there's no private key on the paper certificate so there's no evidence from this public show of buying petra that any crypto was actually transacted and i think the venezuela government if they actually had a function crypto they would make a point of showing how someone got it into their wallet or something, but they didn't show that. They just showed some people with paper certificates. And then to add to this evidence, the Block Explorer on the official Petro website is barely moving. When I wrote an article like a day ago on this exact situation going on with the public sale opening, there was 316 blocks. But the blog time is one minute, and the last time I wrote an article it was like below 300 blocks. So there's supposed to be a block every minute, but they're saying there's only 300-something blocks right now, and... There's like 40 peers connected to the network or something. It seems like fake data. And there's no blocks actually viewable on the Block Explorer. Like every other crypto Block Explorer, there's a list of blocks and who mined them. With Petro, that is not the case. And then there's no way to know a Petro transaction ID. So the Block Explorer is completely useless. And we got people getting paper certificates for buying the Petro. 
And it seems it's possible the Venezuelan government is collecting fiat and crypto in exchange for Petro, but giving nothing in return besides this paper certificate. And this makes the whatever this is at this point, whatever you want to call it, the Petro, possibly a fiat currency, but not just a fiat currency, but a fiat currency that could be printed with a standard computer printer and maybe the most likely to be counterfeited fiat currency in the world. So, yeah, that's not looking so good. And then they say, oh, in a week we're going to launch the next phase, Petro Savings. So instead of Venezuelans even receiving a certificate saying they own Petro, they just give that money directly to the government. They don't get to own the Petro themselves. They probably get like a promissory note that they own X amount of Petro. But if the Petro doesn't exist, then Petro Savings is literally just giving money to the government, the Venezuelan government, who's having a very hard time due to the hyperinflation crisis of the Bolivar. And I don't think that would be a good idea, but I don't want to speculate too much. But then they're also going to launch PetroPay. This doesn't make much sense since all real cryptocurrencies have a pay feature directly built into the wallet. People can send and receive crypto. That's the pay feature. It's just built in. But with the Petro, you can't just send that paper certificate. So now there's going to be PetroPay where people give money to the government and they send it where you want, I guess. And this might just be more proof that the Petro is not really a cryptocurrency. And despite all of this evidence, the Venezuelan government said this Monday the sale of the Petro cryptocurrency successfully launched for all Venezuelans and those who want to make financial transactions digitally through this mechanism. Maybe it is digital. Maybe they have like a non-crypto, non-blockchain ledger for the Petro. Like they're collecting money. They're printing Petros at will. And it might just be more of the same of Venezuela, a country known for printing money. Like it seems like they've created a new currency to print here and hype up about. Hopefully that's not the case. The country really could have used the Petro, and it's very easy to launch a cryptocurrency. I, it, like, boggles my mind why Venezuela has not just launched a cryptocurrency to be more legitimate about this, because launching a cryptocurrency is so easy. Like, I think someone in their mom's basement, which is just a personal computer, like, in the dark, for, like, one day, even without any food or water or something, could, like, launch a crypto. That's how easy it is. So... Well, it's usually easier than that. Usually you have food and water, not in your mom's basement in the dark. So yeah, anyone could launch a cryptocurrency within a day with the technology out there. But for some reason, because it's all open source. But for some reason, Venezuela has decided not to do it, it seems. Now for our next story. So Janet Yellen was the former chair of the Federal Reserve. And that's like one of the most powerful positions in the global economy. They get to decide like things involving USD parameters so they can like change the entire global economy and so Janet Yellen like she is the former chair not the current chair she was chair from 2014 to 2018 and so on 29th of October she did a speech at the Canadian fintech forum and she said she's not a fan of bitcoin or crypto she thinks bitcoin has like no stable value and can't really be used as a currency she particularly says that most of the Bitcoin transactions are illegal and illicit transactions. However, a study in August 2018 said that only 10% transactions for Bitcoin involve illegal activity. And then a different study in January 2018 said it was only 1%. And it's generally agreed it's more like 1% now because like there's such a big, legitimate Bitcoin economy. It really is like 1% of legal transactions, and that's like about the same as fiat currency. So it can't be said that Bitcoin is more used for crime than cash anymore. And then, so yeah, as far as Bitcoin not having a stable value, she also says it doesn't have a stable value, and also it's not an efficient means for processing payments. It's very slow in handling payments. That's not true at all. 
people know that Bitcoin is a highly efficient way of sending payments. Payments happen instantly if you don't wait for confirmations. And merchants can use BitPay to convert to fiat when they receive Bitcoin, so they're insulated from market volatility, even though Bitcoin's been very stable recently. But usually it is a bit volatile. So, like, let's say someone wants to use Bitcoin as a payment method, they could just use, like, BitPay or any other conversion service and not have any market volatility impact their business. So it seems like a lot of the points she said were wrong, and it was like a Bitcoin hate speech. Well, here's the story I'm talking about today. So after all of that, she received 0.0316 Bitcoins worth $20. So the founder of the Bitcoin gifting service, Bitteraga, Raz Supravishi, sent Janet Yellen this $20 of Bitcoin to her email. And he says people are afraid of the unknown. I was hoping that once she logged into her Bitcoin wallet with her ID and password, she would see it's just like a typical online bank account. The money she owns is there in her control, ready to spend. I hope that this sparks her openness to the technology. Maybe all policymakers should be gifted a little bit of Bitcoin. I think this is a great idea. It's effective and simple and cheap. These power, There's like powerful people besides Jenny Allen, but there's a lot of powerful people in the financial sector that just like hate Bitcoin and they talk their hate, but they've never used Bitcoin. Imagine if someone just sends them a Bitcoin kit. First off, they'd be very appreciative of any free money. Even though they're rich, they would like to play with it. And then they would see, hey, this really works. It's real. Or at least be like, okay, there's someone in Bitcoin that's kind of nice. They gave me some free money. So I think this could be an effective strategy. And everyone that's like against Bitcoin that's powerful should be sent like $20 of Bitcoin. So they can at least like use it before they say anything like that. Because I think their hearts would be warmed if they received a little gift like that. And then Jenny Yellen has confirmed she got the Bitcoin. She says, I did receive a gift of Bitcoins this morning and have been very busy ever since. So I've not looked into it further. So whenever her schedule frees up, like probably after work, she would probably look into it, log in, see that Bitcoin is a real payment system. And who would throw out free Bitcoin after all? So she didn't say she's deleting it. So at the very least, she's not deleting it. And now, like who would throw it out? Because Bitcoin's gone up so fast in the past 10 years. So instantly, Janet Yellen has gone from a Bitcoin hater to a Bitcoin holder. Just like that. Now for our next story. Oyster Protocol got smashed open and sucked dry. So Oyster Protocol is like a data storage system similar to IOTA. It's on the Ethereum network. It's an Ethereum token, but it's, it's like a hybrid of Ethereum and IOTA. The founder of Oyster Protocol, Bruno Block, and that's not his real name. That's a pseudonym, and not even the Oyster Protocol team members actually know his identity. So he left something in the smart contract. So he used Ethereum to launch Oyster Protocol. And there's a smart contract that generated the token. That's how it is of ERC-20. But he left a transfer director function in the smart contract. So Oyster Protocol has a decent market cap before this incident. It was like tens of millions of dollars. And they did three audits of their smart contracts and code and stuff to make sure everything's kosher. And they found this. They said, okay, there's this transfer director function that could be an exploit. But then Bruno Block said, no, this we need this just in case we need to adjust the peg of our coin. By the way, their coin's called Oyster Pearls appropriately, PRL. And so people trusted Bruno Block even though they didn't know who he is. And then he totally attacked. He generated three million Oyster Pearls without permission. And the PRL market cap dropped from twenty million dollars to less than three million dollars in a day. So this has also caused the trading volume to fall to less than five Bitcoins per day after it was very healthy before that. The biggest exchange which traded PRL like closed down the listing for now until it gets fixed. 
So just to go in a little more in-depth in what happened here. So he used the transfer director function, issued 3 million Oyster Pearls, quickly transferred them to KU Coin, which was the biggest Oyster Pearl exchange. And, and then he sold it for other cryptocurrencies and withdrew. And he did this only days before. Like, as of today, November 1st, KU Coin has finally like started doing Know Your Customer Verification. And anyone that is not KYC verified can only withdraw two Bitcoins worth of crypto per day. So he did it just in time. He's not verified. Obviously, he's anonymous. And yeah, so he withdrew as many Oyster Pearls as he could. So KU Coin shut down the listing until the code is fixed. And by the way, there's 98.5 million Oyster Pearls in circulation before this incident. So it went up slightly over 100 million, probably like 101.5 million, I guess. And so the 3 million tokens created by Bruno Block didn't suck all the money out of the market, but they caused a damage to Oyster Protocol's reputation which is what caused the crash. So his 3 million coins being dumped were not the primary mechanism that made the price crash. It's because investors and traders then saw that Oyster Pearls could be printed at will by an anonymous bad actor making the currency worthless. So everyone dumped as fast as they could. The CEO of Oyster Protocol, William Cords, he's planning on revising the smart contract to remove the transfer director function exploit. And... He says a token swap is likely, and they're going to maybe make a new crypto called P-E-A-R-L, Pearl, instead of P-R-L, which also stands for Oyster Pearls. So they're going to do a one-to-one exchange for a new token once the smart contract is fixed, and they're asking for help to track down Bruno Block. Overall, this is a very unique hack, and it's surprising. There was probably some sort of internal problems in the Oyster Protocol. I don't want to speculate, though. I'm talking about like what the team members are, but I'm not speculating on this because I have no idea. But it, why would the founder of a crypto that was starting to do really good like suddenly attack it? So, yeah, it's a unique case, a unique exploit where there was something in the code hidden by the original founder to destroy the coin at any time they chose. Now for our final story of the day. Blockchain is going to space, literally. The blockchain company Consensus has acquired a space mining company called Planetary Resources, and this partnership could bring blockchain to space. And so this is a very interesting story because Consensus is a purely blockchain firm. They have over 900 employees and they have used the money they made with blockchain to acquire like a really reputable space firm. So Planetary Resources focuses on mining life-sustaining resources from near-Earth asteroids at this point. They say there are 16,000 near-Earth asteroids that are more accessible than the moon, and they contain a combined 2 trillion tons of water and other life-sustaining resources. The concept of this company, Planetary Resources, is that it's cheaper to mine resources in space than to transport them from the Earth, because getting things beyond the grips of, of Earth's gravity is very expensive. Like It would be almost impractical and unfeasible to launch a large enough amount of water from the Earth to sustain a colony or something, so they, it's got to be done in space. And that's the way it should be done, because launching things to escape Earth orbit, to escape Earth's gravity, is too expensive. So they've already, they're launching some exploratory missions into deep space to look at these near-Earth asteroids, and I guess it's near-Earth space. So, this seems like a very exciting partnership in a blockchain perspective, because it's known that the blockchain makes supply chains shorter and stronger, and that's exactly what planetary resources needs, and they'll probably use blockchain for their activity in space. Because the blockchain could be used to track the infrastructure, the missions, the resources that they mined, the money that they're making, so on and so forth. And that's necessary for something like this, where it has to be so coordinated in advance. The blockchain provides immutable storage, and 
yeah, they could use a shorter and stronger supply chain. And also in space, the best governance system might be a decentralized autonomous organization due to the long distances involved. So there's a couple of quotes here. The general counsel for planetary resources, Brian Israel, says, Ethereum smart contract functionality is a natural solution for private order and commerce in space. The only domain of human activity not ordered around terrestrial sovereignty in which a diverse range of actors from a growing number of countries must coordinate and transact. That's why a DAO powered by blockchain technology would be best because there's a lot of different, you know, organizations and people, individuals coordinating in space, but there's no, like, really central government in space. Not anytime soon, at least. It's not Star Wars yet. And, and then the founder of Consensus, and he's also the Ethereum co-founder, one of them, Joe Loveland says, I admire Planetary Resources for its world-class talent, its record of innovation, and for inspiring people across our planet in support of its bold vision for the future. Bringing deep space capabilities into the consensus ecosystem reflects our belief in the potential for Ethereum to help humanity craft new societal rule systems through automated trust and guaranteed execution, and it reflects our belief in dem democratizing and decentralizing space endeavors to unite our species and unlock untapped human potential. We look forward to sharing our plans and how to join us on this journey in the months ahead. So, it's clear that they're going to try to be using blockchain in space, and it makes a lot of sense. And I think a new type of blockchain is going to be developed from this partnership. I'm just speculating that, but it's probably true. Because current Earth-centric blockchains are not very optimized for space. Because they don't plan on very long distances. Like, space exploration, even in near-Earth space for near-Earth asteroids, involves immense distances. And that would cause lag times when using blockchain technology due to the speed of light. So I think a space-optimized blockchain will be developed from this partnership, and that will be very interesting to see. That's all we have for you today on this November 1st, 2018 edition of the BitcoinNews.com Daily Podcast. Come back tomorrow for another exciting episode. Go to BitcoinNews.com 24-7 for the full spectrum of Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto analysis. This is your host, Space Marine, signing out, going to a near-Earth asteroid.